Hello and welcome to the Creativity Snippets podcast with myself, Tracy Stanley, and Barbara Wilson. We're passionate about encouraging creativity and are the co-authors of the book Creativity Cycling, Help Your Team Solve Complex Problems with Creative Tools. Now, Barbara lives near Nice in the south of France, and I live here in Brisbane, Australia. We started recording our conversations at the beginning of 2020 to provide both inspiration and information on how to apply creativity to all aspects of your life, both work and at home. Today, we're going to be talking about wicked problems and also assumptions and facts that come to play when you're looking at wicked problems. So let me jump in uh, by asking Barbara, what, what does this term mean? What, what is a wicked problem? Yes, yeah, thanks, Tracy. Well, one of the, I, I suppose another word for this could be uh, a messy problem. And the, the terms are being used interchangeably over the years. One of the basic issues is to, first of all, when you're doing problem solving and you're trying to decide whether to use creative problem solving, is to determine whether the problem is a wicked or a messy problem. There are several characteristics or a whole long list if you want to go to Rittle's original uh, definition of what a wicked or messy problem is. But I've kind of summarized them in four main points here. The first point is that they're interconnected with other complex problems. So they don't stand alone. And they're complicated in terms of all those relationships. So it's like a very complex web of issues. They exist in an uncertain environment. So again, you can't separate the problem from the environment and assume that that environment is a stable environment. Um, the environment is also within which the problem sits is also complex. They display ambiguity because they can be interpreted in many ways. So, you know, different people will take for different views of it. Um, some people will even deny its existence as a problem. As I'm going through this, Tracy, I'm thinking about various wicked problems the world is dealing with right now and thinking, yeah, you can see this, this playing out. The fourth point I wanted to make is the solving of complex problems will involve social, organizational, and political, as well as technological constraints. So you can see how multifaceted a wicked problem is and not easy to resolve. I mean, one of the current examples, um, apart from Russia, uh, is how to resolve climate yeah. change. Sorry? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so you're right. I was actually going to say that Ukraine and the West yeah. are doing something quite different, not defending in tanks, yeah. but trying to be smart about financial yeah. assets. Sorry, I'm yeah. cutting you off. But yeah. No, 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 no. That's 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 what came to my my mind when I was reading all this. Um, my example, my main example, would have been um, and still is, in fact, climate change which is still with us as a, a very difficult to resolve uh, wicked problem. Yeah, I think it's really important, Barbara, that you explain what the characteristics are so people understand its complexity, because it's a term that they hear and they, they, they might 
make all sort of assumptions about what that term means. So it's it's got all these characteristics. How do we go about solving a wicked problem? Assuming that we can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, as you, yeah. As you know, Tracy, and we've described this in our book, Creativity Cycling, the CPS or creative problem solving process addresses how to tackle wicked problems, which of course is not the same as solving them, um, but it offers the best possibilities for finding a way forward and resolving them. The first stage of that is I mean, the, the, there are various processes, so let me just backtrack a bit there. The process we've discussed in, in the book is perhaps a simplified three-stage process. Um, and the first stage of this is to really understand the problem and with all its complexities. So all the kind of descriptions, the, the definition I, I mentioned earlier, um, they need to all be looked at, unpacked to get an understanding of the scope of what the problem is. And here, this is where the first link comes in with the other um, aspect of this podcast, is that in doing that, it's crucial to check out all the assumptions that are being made around the problem and to clarify the facts. So to do this, it's very helpful to use tools and techniques that open up all aspects of the problem so that ambiguities, for example, can be surfaced. Drawing a rich picture is one of my favourites because it, it engages the intuition as well as the more logical aspects of our brains. And I just want to um, say there as well that that's really important because I, I really firmly believe that complex, wicked problems cannot be solved logically. Um, there isn't. It, it really defies the logical analysis, really, of, what, of, of problems. So um, the rich picture sort of attempts to capture all aspects of it, the interconnectedness of it, the environment in which it exists. And then when reflecting on this picture after it's produced, Teams can then draw out any assumptions that, that have been built into the problem. So it's a kind of staged approach there. Okay. So Tracy, what about your take on assumptions in this context? I think um, I'll pick up your example about, about teams looking at wicked problems because you know, from my own experience, you know, we come to a meeting with all our assumptions and prejudices and the impact of our socialisation and we often have formed assumptions about people and their behaviours and it's not always clear to us that those assumptions are there framing the way we behave. And, um, you know, they're often invisible and it could mean that... Um, it's important, important to spend time understanding your own assumptions uh, and because they are invisible, because they are the frame through which you see the whole world. Um, and as I said, it can relate to a person and how they might behave um, or it can relate to characteristics of the problem as you've described. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, that, and, and it is crucial that we do that. So just to look perhaps to delve in a little bit more about how we arrive at our assumptions. 
and where they fit into our thinking process might be helpful at this stage. In a way, assumptions serve a purpose in our lives. Um, they short circuit the thinking and decision making process, you know, which sometimes in our daily lives can be helpful. However, by doing that, you know, we might assume, just thinking of an example there, we might assume if we're walking along a, a street late at night um, and we hear footsteps be behind us gathering pace, we might assume we're in danger. We don't know the facts. We might not have even stopped to check them out, but we, we make that kind of assumption at that point. And that's probably a pretty good assumption to make because our actions then might be, you know, just get out of here as quickly as possible um, mm -hmm. rather than stand and analyze the situation and, and, and try and make an illogical assessment about what is the fact here. Um, we don't wait. So assumptions do serve a purpose for us. They're kind of short circuit that mental process of thinking through things. Um, however, they, making certain assumptions can be, uh, particularly ones that we do have the time to think through, can also lead us down, um, I was going to say wrong paths. I, I suppose you could say, who is it to say it's wrong if it's a complex issue? But they might be not the, the correct or not the best paths to go down. We really, therefore, need to be careful about those assumptions. I mean, we often hear people talk about assumptions in the way that, you know, I, I mean, markets every morning on the radio, I listen to a short um, summary of what's going on in the financial market. Not, not because I've kind of got masses invested in it, I'd have to say, but just to sort of see, well, what's going on in, in the world out there? How's the pound doing, et cetera, et cetera. But a lot of that is based on assumptions people are making. Um, it's, it's also, you know, the kind of things that people do when they're trying to solve crimes. You know, certain assumptions are made with very few facts, and then the facts are checked. So coming, just backtracking a bit there, um, I think what we need to be careful about is that assumptions can lead to hasty decisions, um, like the example of, of solving a crime or um, the market, and they can cause damage. They can also lead to a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy you know, if I make assumption yeah. that somebody is being dangerous and they're not really, but I act towards them in a very aggressive way, I may get back a very aggressive response. You know, I've seen I've seen examples of this where arguments have started by, you know, people who've assumed that somebody else is, I don't know, being aggressive towards them. Um, and then assuming an aggressive position back, and it all becomes a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy. So, you know, one of the ways to explain this, and I don't want to go into this in, in great depth, but we'll put um, a link to this in the, in the notes for the podcast, is to look at the sort of ladder of inference we make. Um, and Chris Argyris drew this up, um, a very useful way of, of looking at how our assumptions build up. But it, it, it shows us that, you know, we observe things and we make selections from that observation. We don't select everything. We make certain selections, often based on our already built up um, assumptions and beliefs. 
So it's kind of self-perpetuating. We, so we select from the observation, we add meaning to this selection, and then we make assumptions, which then lead on to more beliefs and actions. So we might see some somebody act in a certain way. Let's go back to the sort of somebody acting a little bit aggressively. Um, we might just select some um, small aspects of their behavior. We might not have seen the fact that they did something very kind and supportive around the old lady that was uh, standing next to them trying to get served, for example. We might miss totally some of that behavior. We might just pick up on one or two gestures that they've made towards us. And we assume that they're being aggressive. So we kind of, on, on that basis, we draw all sorts of, you know, assumptions. We draw all sorts of um, beliefs around them. And then we act towards them as if they're aggressive, ignoring anything else that might be going on for them. I don't know if that kind of explains it in a nutshell. It's quite a complex thing to explain on a podcast without a flip chart here to show you. <laughs> so, Tracy, do you have any examples of, of assumptions turning into actions at work? Um, I can actually think of an example when you were, I was just listening to you speaking about myself and my own assumptions were completely wrong. So, I guess I'd like to start by saying that you make an assumption about someone and so you don't think they'll have much to contribute, so you don't really listen. And I fell into that trap. I was in one of those um, survival exercises where you're in a group and you've got to choose only 10 things to take with you into the wild to survive, you know, whether it's a rope or mm. a knife or something. And there was, someone, there was a woman in the group and I, I don't know, I didn't think she was very credible. And I have to admit I didn't listen to her. And then, of course, you write down your own rating for the, what the 10 items are and you do it as a group. And um, anyway, when we did all the analysis at the end, she actually had had a big background in scouts and had outward bound type experience. And, her, and she actually had some very valuable things to say and she was much more informed than I thought she was. And I remember thinking, well, that was been a shame on me for making assumptions about her um, and not really listening. Um, based upon the assumptions that I made. So, yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> it happens all the time. It happens all the time. <laughs> so, so how do we deal with these assumptions, Barbara? Well, it's important um, to challenge them. <laughs> and in a way, to challenge them, we, we almost need to take ourselves out of that situation. So, so challenging your own assumptions right at that moment it's quite hard to do when you're making a decision very quickly, I'd say. So, you know, not being tough on yourself is probably a good thing there, Tracy, um, because those assumptions are things we make. What we need to do is be aware, increasingly be aware of what assumptions we make about people. Um, and we do make a lot of assumptions based on quite arbitrary facts like the color of their skin or their gender, um, height, all sorts of, you know, age all sorts of assumptions we make as we go through life and people make about us. But what we need to do is to kind of surface them and then and then challenge them. So you almost need to move back down that um, ladder of inference. So look at, you know, what observe what observable data um, did I pick up 
um, that has led me to that assumption. So if I think this woman hasn't got anything to offer, what is it about her that gave me that opinion? And what do I actually know about her? So that would be the questions to be asking um, when you're checking people out, I guess. Um, then, you know, at, at the moment, you might not know very much, but what we probably need to do at that point is suspend our assumptions until we know more. And that's quite hard to do in, in, the, in the reality of our daily lives. But it's to move back down, to challenge what we do know, to then, you know, if we've got that, that opportunity, especially if we're doing creative problem solving, to ask ourselves, you know, how can we, what, what other evidence do we need to collect here to challenge those assumptions? Um, what are we missing? And we need to be asking questions like that. So we need to become more aware of, of our own thinking and reasoning, making our thinking and reasoning more visible to others as well as ourselves, if we're in that kind of team teamwork, and inquiring into other people's thinking and reasoning. You're asking them, on what basis are you making that assumption? Or on what basis are you, are you making that statement? And then checking it out in that way. So um, that's really, you know, the sort of questions to ask. What's the observable data behind the statement? Does everybody agree on what that data is or what the facts are? Asking people to run through their reasoning and then asking, how did we get from that data to these assumptions? That is a really useful exercise we can do, especially if we're working in teams and we've got that opportunity. It may not have been applicable, Tracy, in that exercise you were doing. Um, I've run those a lot of times and you're under really time <laughs> pressure there to, to make a decision. Yeah. And you don't really have the opportunity to start running back down that, that ladder of inference to start checking out people's assumptions. Um, yeah. So it, it's a thing to do really when you when you have got the time um, with teams or with yourselves. Um, I mean, there are other exercises and a useful one is the left hand column where you you write down in the left column what was said in a conversation and in the or you, right hand column at each point of that statement. You think about you write down what were the assumptions that were built into that conversation at that point. Um, you could do the assumptions later if you're just detailing a conversation that went on. You can go back and say, okay, on what assumptions was that response made? You know, what was the assumption going on for the person when they replied in that way? And that's quite a useful way to unpick assumptions in, in that kind of um, communication. Tracy, do you have experience of that kind of exercise as well or, or something similar? Um, yes, I do. And I guess, so reflecting on what you said, Barbara, you talked about writing down when people say things, how you interpret that and what's your assumption. For me, I've fallen into the trap of assuming when nothing is said that everything's okay. You know, I haven't necessarily checked for their concerns because they didn't raise them in the meeting. Um, you know, I haven't asked enough questions to check that they're, you know, that they're happy and they're ready to proceed. Um, or 
when I think about, you know, specific experience in a change management project, just sort of saying, you know, I'm kind of surprised you, you don't have any concerns about this, you know, complicated process that we're going through. I mean, I, I didn't respond enough to the silence. Um, I assumed that was compliance and agreement. Mm. And um, it's very much also a, it's a cultural thing. You know, ha, you know, I worked in Bangkok and um, a lot of my, my Asian colleagues are very reluctant to speak unless they're invited to speak. So just don't assume, oh, well, because they, you know, they're not speaking, that everything's fine. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting um that's an interesting example as well, culturally, to, to look at that dimension, because yes, you're right, there are certain cultures will not necessarily speak out and make clear um, what assumptions lie behind or to challenge what's going on so that they can surface any assumptions they've made. Um, an excellent point that, Tracy. Mm. So to return to creativity, which is where I start, we started this around <laughs> wicked problems. Um, by challenging our assumptions, we can begin to think differently and develop new ideas. Um, and that's why it's important, you know, challenging other assumptions is a little bit more difficult. Um, but it, it's really important in that in that creativity uh, aspect. So just to, to add in there, I started off by saying it's really important in that first stage when you're trying to understand the problem. So getting a full understanding, checking out assumptions, um, then asking what are the facts here and not what facts we are assuming are there because of our pre-assumptions, if that, if that sounds that probably sounds a bit complex now, but it, it's often we, we assume things and then we say, well, that's a fact. Um, but sometimes we have to go beneath the current fact that we believe and say, is that based on an assumption? So we might need to go down a few levels. Challenging them in other contexts, though, is a, is, is a little bit more difficult. And um, what you were saying there about the, in the change complex, particularly, um, you know, in, in a change process, which is very complex in itself, it, it's quite hard sometimes to, to understand what people's assumptions are. And as a manager, um, you know, you may believe that someone's acting on what you see as a wrong assumption. It's quite hard sometimes to, to really unpick that. So the ways in which you can try and do it is to take a coaching approach to that challenge. So asking people, um, what are they proposing to do? You know, asking the open questions, what or, you know, how are they proposing to tackle this to try and surface what their thinking is? Ask for evidence to support the assumption you're seeing. So what, you know, what do you see there? What are you seeing in this situation? It's quite a useful question to ask. Um, offer an alternative way of seeing, you know, or oh, that that's interesting. Don't negate them, you know, recognize that, okay, this is their assumption, um, but try and offer them an alternative. You know, that's interesting. Have you thought about looking at it this way? Or have you thought that maybe this is going on? And then use the you know, use the questions I mentioned earlier as a kind of guide to having an open conversation about facts and assumptions. 
Um, if you can surface those, if you can have create that openness where you can challenge, uh, I mean, not only have you got a great culture there, and I applaud that, I would certainly applaud that, um, but it would really make for a much more healthy environment towards change. Sadly, I see it in very few organizations. Tracy, mm. do you have anything to add here? No, that was a very good, um, a very good synthesis of learning there, Barbara. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks. So, Tracy, do you want to? Oh, we, oh okay. Yes, I'm here to sort of um, do my synthesis of uh, three things I want our listeners to take away from today. It's about just really looking at whether a problem you're facing is really a wicked problem or not. Don't over-engineer if it's not, but that will, depending upon the complexity of the problem, will depend upon how you approach it. Um, as Barbara has, um, has explained to us, it's really important when you're analysing a wicked problem to identify your assumptions and to separate facts from assumptions. Really, really important. And as she said, perhaps use a, um, a piece of paper with when you write down what the assumption is based on, what, what even the fact is based upon, because you may be able to come back and check it later on. And the fact may be assumption, and the assumption may well be a fact. Um, and the point that I made earlier is that very often your assumptions are invisible to you. They're not obvious to you. So always work hard to think about what are, what are my perhaps unconscious assumptions that are framing the way that I see this situation or that I'm seeing this person and declare them and say, well, guys, I need to admit this is my assumption in how and, and put it out there. That actually will create a nice culture of openness um, by you declaring the way, the frame through which you're viewing the current situation. Voila. So um, thanks, everyone, for listening in. It's great to, uh, great to have you here today. If you'd like to know more about our experiences, you can find myself at tjstanley.com and barbara at barbara-wilson.com and of course you can buy our book creativity cycling help your team solve complex problems with creative tools on amazon google play and book depository wishing all our listeners a very creative day <laughs> bye barbara bye tracy and bye everybody take care